0: Because I realized I didn't, I didn't know her and she didn't feel known. I didn't, I never treated her in an other centered way. I didn't do things for her that were just for her. I, I started realizing that little things that I did often for her were to make me feel better.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's conversation with Tim Butry. Tim and his wife, Linda, went through a traumatic event in their marriage. And in the process, he learned about the journey to disconnectedness. A journey that all of us are suspect to and how so many of us oftentimes fall in the trap of forgetting to be committed to the disciplines of what it means to stay married. You're going to love his vulnerability, his openness and how he shares his journey back to connectedness it's my sincere hope that if you know somebody who needs to hear this conversation you'll share it and that through this podcast and through this conversation God can do some amazing things out there for marriages all over our community so without any further ado here's my conversation with Tim Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's conversation with a newer friend of mine, Tim. Tim, how the heck are you, man? I
0: am great, and it's good to be here on this beautiful day.
1: I know God really gave us something pretty incredible today when he uh he drew today up. It's breezy, sunny, it's you know, it's uh, Feel August. Like I'm back
0: in Southern California.
1: This is Southern California it's perfect, weather. Yeah. So you're from Southern California. Why don't you tell us how you ended up in Dayton and what it is that you deal? I'm actually from Dayton.
0: I grew up in Dayton, but ended up going to California early on in our ministry. Um, about 1987, Linda, my wife Linda, and I and our two kids took off to Covina, California. And became the young adult pastors there at at a church in Covina. From there, I got a burden to really plant a church. And there was a place in Southern California that was just growing out of nothing, literally nothing. It was like desert. And they were master planning this community that was called Rancho California. So Mm. I was doing some research, did a feasibility study, and just really felt like God was calling us to plant a church there. So Lynn and I went down. This little town that had one traffic signal
1: is now like Orange County. Uh, So we planted a church, and we were there for 11 years. And uh, so we've already established then that your wife is a saint. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Right? For her to do that. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Take our two little kids
0: with us. Yeah, how old were your kids when that happened? Oh, when we moved down there, the kids were
1: probably like six and four. Six and four. Man, you're... Yeah, that's it. And so you planted a church and you did ministry there for how long? Uh, we were at it was called when we planted the church it was called Temecula Valley
0: Christian Center. We later changed it to Crossroads Church. Okay. And we were there for eleven years. Started in a living room with four couples, including me and Linda. Wow. And from there we we took on a storefront and then we went in and did a uh, a tilt up Industrial building did all the work to turn it into a church, and we were there until we left in 2000. And when you left in 2000, you headed back to Dayton? We did not, we stayed in in that uh, Southern California region. That was when we birthed this ministry, True Relationships. And I'll tell you more about that story how. The pastoring ended, and the organization of true religion true relationships began.
1: Yeah, that's what I want to hear because I, 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 think some of the ministry that you're doing in true relationships with, um, is is so needed in our community today, and and in our culture, and in our right, right, culture and community. So how did how did true relationships get birthed, and what is it exactly?
0: Well, how it was birthed was. In pain like every birth. Um, uh, Linda and I did not realize how much we had become disconnected over the 20 years of our marriage up to that point. From getting married, going to North Central University, Bible College, preparing for ministry, starting ministry, planting a church, raising two kids. Um, We just didn't realize the effect until uh, everything crashed. Wow. Um, and so in two, in early 2000, um, I was, I had been going through a very serious illness. I was on a chemotherapy treatment. It knocked the wind out of me. Like I'd never expected. Um, I, I didn't even know when I'd be able to speak on a Sunday. I had to have guests come in and so on and so forth. Uh, and Linda was concerned for me, obviously, you know, sure. as, as, my spouse, uh, she sent out an email to friends and family all over the country, just, Hey, pray for us. Pray for Tim. Tim's really sick. It's not going well. And one of those friends actually had known this person since we were young teenagers. Um, this guy actually was a youth pastor under my wife's father's ministry sure. and was one of the groomsmen in our wedding, Yeah. um, but this guy took the most interest in my situation, our situation, and contacted Linda often hmm. to find out what, what was going on. Yeah, being I, pastoral care. Yeah. I mean, he was on staff at a large church. Sure. He, I still don't know what all the motivations were, but nevertheless, long story short, um, at some point in those conversations, he told Linda that his marriage was over. Oh, and that they had been to counseling, and that it didn't work.
1: Yeah, and you, you used air quotes. Yes, yeah. I did. Sorry. Air quotes for counseling. <laughs> yeah, Well, yeah. well and, and, and the work you do now, you have a clear opinion about what counseling I is do. and isn't, right? And, and
0: what you do in counseling to get results. So there's, I don't believe that they couldn't have restored that marriage. But anyway, the point is that he didn't see that happening. And Linda told me about that. and We were both concerned, but what we did realize what's happening that Linda was beginning to feel safe oh. talking with this person and wasn't safe with me. And I didn't know that. I, I didn't understand that. She
1: never really had the ability to tell me that. Mm. But now I, I think, I think that's a big, that's a big statement. And so I want to ask you to unpack it for me just a little bit. Okay. When you say safe with him and not safe with you, yep. you're not talking about, physically safe. Correct. I'm talking about
0: emotional safety, about being able to be honest and be safe at the same time. For her to be able to tell me something that was maybe bothering her that she needed and that I would respond in a way that wasn't harsh or wasn't critical or wasn't defensive. So I wasn't safe for her. I I did not realize that even when I would tell her something, that, and you can hear me right now. You yeah. can hear the passion and energy. Sure. And she told me that my passion many times made her feel like she was going to lose. Hmm. I was going to win whatever it took, my opinion, my whatever. And I was
1: going to get that accomplished. How often does that winning and losing mentality begin to form a crack in a in a relationship?
0: Uh, it can begin very early on. I would say that it started probably about the second month of our marriage. We call it the the journey to disconnectedness is what we now refer yeah. to, and we teach in our seminar called True Relation, uh, called True Intimacy. Um, so the journey to disconnectedness is really something that most people have really resonated with. It starts out with something that's going on for all of us: fatigue. Right. Okay. Because it's just so easy to become business partners. Sure. I mean you got kids, you got a church. Linda was so concerned about our kids and their education. Our son Josh was starting to have some trouble at school. We didn't know what it was, but he would come home, we'd pick him up, he was dead silent. We knew something was wrong. Linda took that. This is this is my wife. She took that and she started a Christian academy at our church. Using all the Sunday school rooms that were used on Sunday only, she filled them up during the week. We had 150
1: students after the first year. And so there's a there's a sense, especially amongst Christians, of of righteous work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Righteous Get work. Her done.
1: Righteous work for this for the sake of the gospel at the cost of my Everything. life. Exactly, and that we didn't know we were doing that though, Tony. That's the thing. It's like yeah.
0: it's scary when you think about. What we were told we were supposed to do and be, and everything that preceded that for us was modeled for us in previous pastors, everything. So, so here we are. You so know.
1: you're in this situation, and your wife has become safe with another guy. Yep. And
0: in- innocuously says to him one day, "Well, you don't know what it's like to be married to Tim," and that was the beginning of the end yeah not the end literally but the end meaning we hit the wall she she began to open her heart to him and he took it to the bank right and so that's the part of it that i believe that he did know what he was doing but it doesn't matter at this point the bottom line was that linda found something that she did not have in me and that was very grievous to me so anyway long story a little bit shorter um she really felt into deception. Uh, she tells the story about how she got a, a flyer in the mail to our church in the area of ministry that she was over, which was small groups, discipleship, adult education. And this uh, event, this this seminar was in the city this guy lived in. Mm. And she remembers that day looking at that conference flyer and said, God, you are so good to me to let me go to a seminar in my area of ministry where he lives. You must want me to see him. That was the de- the level of deception that was... Pop- and I see it all the time.
1: Now, so, okay, let, let me... Because yeah. I, I think people are living in this world. I, I agree. And um, how, how do you know... How do you know it's not God? I mean, how do you know she wasn't right? How do you know it's deception? Because it was
0: wrong, because it was destructive, because it was a lie, because she was responding right. to chemicals floating in her brain <laughs>
1: <laughs> So she... Yeah, so what you're saying is that God would never want you to go against the vows- Exactly. That you make. A- absolutely. Like that there's a, a natural like marriage and a covenant in front of God. Now, if, if you don't have God, Well,
0: that sure complicates that, whether you have that value or not, but most people did stand before an altar. Someone, right, yeah. Uh, 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 Typically, it's in front of family and friends at a church and made those vows. I I ask it all the time, Tony. So just to be clear, did you say those vows when you got married, like till death do us part? Yep. uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, let's just take that and run with it then. I mean, that's Where we have to start. Okay, did you mean that? That's the baseline. That's it. That's it. And I found that most anything can be overcome if you're willing to fight for what you vowed from Mm -hmm. the beginning. So your wife sees this flyer. Does she go to the city? She did. She did. Spent five days with this person. And when she came home, I didn't know it, but I knew something was wrong. I knew something happened. She was a changed Person. elephant in the room oh, like it was, it was it like
1: was huge. walking on eggshells everywhere
0: you went and that was the beginning of of the drift that happened quite radically
1: at that point for her and yeah so now you went from disconnected to torn apart
0: exactly and i i didn't know why i didn't know what happened but i knew something serious so right. my intrigue came up then and and obviously like most people would i started looking yeah you fished you know, around right i of course. looked in emails and i was savvy enough on computers even back with the 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 DOS stuff back then and I I went behind the scenes I got into temp files and I found stuff that no spouse should ever have to read right that their spouse said to someone else and so when I confronted that then you know obviously things changed quickly and I went to my board and I said, I've got to save my marriage. I I, I, I need time. I can't. Yeah. because
1: do- So at this point, True Relationships, your ministry now had not started. No,
0: the whole, that's correct. Right? Yeah. Because still-
1: it was, it was, it, now it was in, you're still planting a church. You're in crisis mode because your marriage is seemingly falling apart. Yes. Before your eyes. It was, yes. yeah. <laughs> I mean, your wife has been ripped up, you know, ripped out of the vows of the marriage. Exactly. You're, you're, you're in a horrible place.
0: Yes, but I was determined to fight.
1: for uh, our I do know you
0: as a fighter. Yeah, there was no, th- that was a non-negotiable for me. I mean, I loved Linda. That that's the thing that was so concerning to me. It's like what happened to her? Why? Why did she tell me, looking straight in my eyes, and say, "You don't get it, do you, Tim? I don't love you anymore. Let me go." And I'd look at her and I'd say, "Hun." Because I love you, I will never let go. I will fight till my death for you. Not that I would hurt you or or make you do anything, but I'm not done. Right. So buckle up. I'm going to prove to you
1: I am sorry for whatever I did that made you believe that I didn't love you. So, so, okay, let let me ask you this, right? Because I would imagine that there's somebody listening to this conversation who's... Who's had their spouse come in and say something, or who maybe maybe on the verge, right there? There, I mean, you know, like we, we know couples like this. You and I sure. both know couples like I this. I deal with them every day. Every day. <laughs> um, how, how do you know? How, how does he? How'd your wife get there?
0: Wow. Well, as I mentioned earlier, there's this model that we use called the journey to disconnectedness that's how we got there it started out with fatigue we just did what we had to do I used fatigue as an excuse for right. what the second stage is in this journey which is irritability and insensitivity irritability and insensitivity so I would come home I had given all of my energy all of my ability to these people that would come to lead the church to train the staff, do whatever I was doing, and I had nothing left. So my, I excused and justified my irritability, and worse, my insensitivity. I stopped paying attention. I stopped mm. being aware. I wasn't listening to Linda's heart or her words. Right. Because I didn't have the energy or whatever. So that started a decline, a disconnect that just seemed like normal life. We didn't know what was happening. But unfortunately, that left, to the, that left led us to the next stage, which is aloneness. Oh.. Okay? Marriage was never intended to be aloneness. God looked at Adam and said, "It's not good that man be alone. I'm going to make a helper." And now you were married but alone we were both married but alone yes right yeah. Right, right. Yeah, right I mean this
1: is even before
0: and probably more Linda than me she felt it emotionally more than I did I was distracted I was involved yeah you're
1: doing the righteous work of the yeah, Lord
0: yeah and, <laughs> I, and I just I, I honestly thought well this is just what marriage is i I, I thought it was going to be better or different but I was willing I was willing to accept it in this condition that it was and I shouldn't have and that had to do with my lazy masculine heart and that's a masculine thing that I often talk to men about in my seminar godly masculinity it's like what what was going on in my heart how could I have missed all of this ignored it all excused it all and my wife is literally dying on the vine wow and I didn't get it i didn't see it i didn't hear it i didn't want to know it it was too much work that's sad so we both ended up being alone and then, emo- emotionally in particular pretty- we, we right. did things yeah we I had guess.
1: vacations sure. with our family we, we, we felt kids, normal right you were parenting absolutely yeah so what
0: comes after aloneness aloneness after that comes um arrogance and alienation and Ooh, so man i a- stayed in aloneness but linda entered that she began to say things like hey I got to do what I got to do to survive. This guy doesn't care enough about me to even hear me, so I'm going to do what I have to do. So that arrogance is not like an, an ugly, blatant arrogance that's on your face. It's it was self-preservation. In it, yeah. Exactly, it was self-preservation. So she believed she had to per- preserve herself. I got to do what I got to do. So arrogance, and then alienation. Then, man, we're talking. If aloneness wasn't bad enough, now we're alienated. Now we are completely in capable of touching each other in that place in our hearts that would make us feel and alienation like, is in the same step with arrogance it is yeah. they're they're one in the same they, they happen at the same time Arrogance. I alienation. say I got to do what I got to do and I pull further away to be able to live I protect myself I don't let things they say bother me anymore I stonewall it just goes over the right. top of my head okay I got to survive so then what comes after that the next stage is what we've come to refer to as adulteries of the heart. So you're not acting out. You you may not be what well, for men, they, they might be dabbling quote unquote uh, in pornography. Um, a woman is probably going to be doing things like fantasizing. Uh, what would it be like to be married to someone else? I deserve better. So there's this, this adultery of the heart that begins to take place. I, I'm not doing anything, but I'm wishing it or I'm thinking it. Yeah. And then from there, that's, I mean, the next step is super scary and that's addiction. Oh, yeah. And so Linda went from fantasizing with this other person on the phone to actually fulfilling it by going to be with him And then that was the, that was it. That was the clincher. Her heart was completely undone. She now. Completely disconnected. She was addicted to what this person could give her.
1: It was scary. I mean. And that's the chemicals you're talking about, right? It is. The oxytocin. Absolutely, yeah. The bonding chemical, right? Yes. Okay.
0: And, and spiritually deception.
1: Sure. I mean, very serious. Yeah, the supernatural part of this is legit.
0: It is really, it's scary legit. And she didn't realize that she was there. It all made sense to her in some crazy kind of way that, that this was going to be better. This other person was going to give her what she had been longing for. Uh, but when I looked at it, from my vantage point, not just because I wanted to keep Linda, but I looked at it as like, this is not going to work ever. This is a, He's going to lose everything. Right. And it's going to be a mess. Then you've got blended family. You've got, oh, yeah, just... I knew right. in my heart it was never going to be what she believed it was, but I knew that I, see, I had enough background with right. being independent and rebellious as a kind of a prodigal son in my early young life, that I knew that Linda was dealing with something that I had my own experience in, and so I I had grace for that. Sure. I was like, okay, I understand, I get what's happening here, but I'm not going to let it go.
1: So, so they, is it does does the addictive stage the last stage does it work a lot like um, in my own journey I've got six years sober and so I I understand rock bottom yeah does it work in a similar way it does and so the the pathway to restoration and redemption is through rock bottom it doesn't have to be. Okay, it doesn't have to be. Uh, you you it, never have to go all the way down
0: this journey, right? You okay? can, you can, you can, you can ask for help at any point. Exactly. Right. And what I often tell people in seminars is that aloneness is the stage at which you can do a U-turn without any real damage.
1: Okay, aloneness. Okay? So, so just so everyone knows, and, and we can put a link to this in the show notes: fatigue, irritability, and insensitivity. Aloneness. aloneness. Arrogation and alienation. Arrogance and alienation. Arrogance and alienation. Adulteries of the heart and addiction. But we've
0: since found, since the beginning, that was where it ended, addiction. That's all we knew because of what Linda's situation was. Sure. But as I started working with couples, I found that there was a final stage that was much more serious and scary. And that was rebellion. Oh. Okay, it's one thing to be addicted. But as you know, as you've already said, you can get past an addiction. Right. But when you go to rebellion, and unfortunately, I've experienced that. And what's weird, you know, Tony, is the time I've experienced it the most often was with ministry couples. One or the other Mm. went all the way to the bottom, and they just said, screw it. I'm going to do what I want. And they were rebellious against God, against their spouse,
1: against their
0: family, against everything.
1: Against the vows that they, they professed right yeah oh absolutely sure right. yeah so that's i mean
0: when you when you see someone get there you know that's that's scary and that con- concerns me i don't give up on those people even when they're at that stage when i'm doing work with a couple and i see that potential i i, I still keep fighting but what i tell them is i won't fight harder than them Okay, what does that mean? That means I want them to realize what they're doing, come to their senses, get a grip, step up to the plate, don't let this happen, and I'm not going to give up on you. It's not over till it's over, but if you don't do something, I can't do it for you. Nobody can. Amen. So there's a... Yeah, there's a choice. And I hate saying that because when people are in that place, they hate being told, just make the choice. I realize it's not just make the choice. There's more involved. But
1: there comes a point. When you have to decide. (laughs) You have to decide. So Linda has made it all the way down to addiction. She never went into rebellion, thank God. Yes. And um, you're fighting for the marriage. She's given up completely. She's trying to unload you. Like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> That's correct. Right? And so, yeah. Um, you know, spoiler alert, you're still married. Yeah. Yeah. Ha- take me from there. to Take me. Take me there.
0: Well, it was seven weeks of me fighting for her until we could get into a counselor. Seven weeks, seven weeks to get into a counselor that that I knew could handle what it was that we were dealing with. Got it. So you were looking for somebody specific? We knew well, yeah, kind
1: of, because you were in trauma. Yeah, yeah.
0: We knew okay. we needed someone that could handle the crisis of a uh, of sexual sin, of re, uh, of addiction to a relationship. I, I mean, I was, I didn't have a clue. So, what does seven weeks of fighting for your marriage look like? Um, having Linda be sorry and sad and cry and lay on the floor and weep and then say, I'm going to go write a letter and tell him it's over and go into the room and lock the door and write a letter that I knew an hour later, there was no way this was a, it's over letter. right And when I, when she would finish this letter and was going to send it, I said, well, hon, I, I I need to read that first. You can't just send him something that I don't know what you're going to say. No, you're not going to read this. If you, I'm going to the, the mailbox right now. If you want to come with me, that's fine, but you're not reading it. It's like, oh, no, this can't be happening. And so I'd go with her. I'd go to the mailbox. She'd drop it in, and I'd pray all night long. I had no idea what I could do. I woke up. I didn't sleep, but I got up at like 6 a.m., took the kids to school, went to the post office, and would you know it, the minute I pull up in front of the post box out front, the, the mail person comes out with the key to take out all the mail. And I just said, hey, we put a mail in here last night that shouldn't have gone in. Can I get it back? And he goes, what's your name? I told him, he looks is this it? Hands it to me. Huh. It was that letter. And I, I remember going and sitting in the Best Buy parking lot and reading this letter. And I came up, I fell apart. Because it wasn't. It wasn't, it's over. It was, don't give up on me. I have to do this, but stay where you are i'm i'm coming I, yeah something will happen and so so, so then i would go home and i would tell linda what i read and blah 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 and she would just get she got angry i've never seen her did. get angry like, that's against the law she said <laughs> you're not allowed to do, take something out of a mailbox i said i can if it's mine and
1: you're mine and that mail was mine not, no yeah, or like it's ours right yeah like yeah. it's yeah, when you say it's mine, it's not like possession. No, mine, no, no. It's, it's, it's like, the, hey, we're we have the same last name. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, I I can't let that go out. Sorry, I I love you. Okay, so she would just
1: you know. And it was a
0: constant. Oh yeah, Did she, she st- opened and closed three mailboxes at the at the postal box uh, post office you know to be able to receive gifts and stuff from him then she'd get feeling guilty or she would have anxiety that would take her out i took her to emergency room twice wow in seven weeks because of anxiety attacks panic attacks so something was going on inside of her that wasn't good but she could not see it and didn't know what to do she she admitted she was addicted. So I don't want to focus too much on that because right. that's really not the, the, the big part of the story. But it's a scary part because it tells you how serious uh, addiction, how serious deception really is. And she got caught in that. So at seven weeks, we were able to go to a place in Colorado called Stonegate Resources with Dr. Harry Schaumburg. And we we spent 10 days
1: there. Fighting for your marriage. Yep. Fighting each other.
0: No, we we didn't fight at all against each other. It was never ugly or mean or harsh or any of that. But But it was was more
1: just disconnection. Yeah, it was just like,
0: are are we going to be able to do this? And she was not willing to just jump back in because I had found this place or because this guy was convincing. She was not willing to do that. And so it was a real process, uh, but actually it was day five that God did a miraculous turnaround in our marriage. Uh, some important features that preceded that, but nevertheless, I mean, it really started with me,
1: Tony, wow. which
0: was the funny odd thing to me. I was convinced. I remember saying to God, "Okay, God, uh, I got her here.
1: You gotta do something.
0: You, it's it's up to you now. You gotta you gotta fix her. You gotta work on her." <laughs> and, that was not the way it went at all. God worked on me so and what what is that yeah what does that look like? well that was that looked like him taking me back to the probably about month two in our marriage so at the beginning yeah we were at church we we were trying to find a church in Minneapolis, Minnesota where we were going to school and we'd gone to this church and I remember that Sunday I in my mind, decided that I was going to see, oh, what a setup. I was going to see if Linda really loved me. Because my love language, I didn't know it then, but it's touch, physical touch. Sure. So I was always holding Linda's hand. I was always touching her. She wasn't. And I thought that meant she didn't love me. So I said to myself, I'm, going to, I'm not going to sit next to her right close to where our hips touch. I'm not going to hold her hand. I'm not going to put my arm around her. I'm going to see if she even notices that and whether or not she reaches out to me. If she reaches out to me, then I'll know she loves me. That was the literal logic that I had that day. Wow. And guess what?
1: She didn't. She didn't. No, because I'm sure physical touch isn't her it love isn't. language
0: at all. Not at all. all. Right. And I didn't get any of that, but... At the end of that service, on our way home, in no uncertain terms, I unleashed my pain on her. Yeah. And, you know, I told her that she couldn't possibly love me the way I loved her. She wouldn't have missed that opportunity. I mean, selfish, immature, ridiculous. But I was truly angry. And I remember leaving our apartment that day and going and riding my bike around downtown Minneapolis for like three, four hours. And then when I came home, I walked in the door,
1: didn't say a word, acted like it was all behind me. And you never talked about never it again. Never talked about it again. And so so you're, you're in Colorado, you're at this retreat center, day five. I'm reading a book and I come across a, a, a
0: quote by Jonathan Edwards, where Jonathan Edwards prayed this prayer. God, if you if you don't help me, If you don't come to my rescue, I will not make it. And he said, when a person is thus humble, God is
1: quick to rescue them. Mm. And it broke me. I was like, God, that's me. Did you did, when you read that? Did you just feel like God was talking to you right? Oh, now?
0: absolutely! And I knew that I had to figure out something. God, you got to help me! I don't know what to do. And I remember beginning to weep and cry. And it was in a public kind of a. There were other couples yeah, it was like there, like
1: a day room kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah. And
0: yeah. we were just sitting in a chair reading, and I started crying so much I had to leave. And I went downstairs into the basement area, and I found a closet, and I went in and I laid on the floor and I wept, and I cried, and God took me. Back to that day. Literally. I I remember the experience as if God was talking to me. And it wasn't verbal, obviously, but it was in my heart. He said, do you remember that day, Tim? And he took me back to that Sunday in that church. And I said, yeah. He said, that's where it started. And that self-centeredness that day has been woven through the entire fabric of your marriage until this very day. And it rocked my world. Uh, You know, to somebody else hearing that story is like, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, I don't know what it was for someone else. But for me, I understood exactly what God was saying, what he was saying to
1: me. Now, you obviously. uh, I mean, you didn't get into the marriage and say, man, I'm going to figure out a way to like trap my wife. No. And so this I mean, that. That mentality goes back before your marriage. How long did it take for you to kind of realize that that's, uh, I mean, where does that behavior come from? That's a good question. Actually, the way I understand it
0: is it's in every single one of our hearts that we just refer to it as self-centeredness. Yeah. It's like. And I'm not talking about selfish, or I'm not even... It's just the human
1: condition. It it is. It's part of our fallenness. Right. Yeah, we would say like the fall, like the sin. Yes. The epistemic consequence of sin. Exactly. Right. So we refer to that as self-centeredness. Which makes sense, right? And funny thing is, there are things
0: that we do that are self-centered that don't feel bad or wrong or negative or anything else. But it was interesting because we discovered things about us During that time, that was very clearly self-centered. So we've learned that the way Jesus wants us to be is not self-centered, obviously, but other-centered. Now, that doesn't mean you're sacrificial all the time. It doesn't mean that you're selfless. That's what I think a lot of people get that confused. They say, well, I'm not allowed to be selfish, so I have to be selfless. Or they don't understand self-centeredness. And so then if they don't, then they automatically assume, well, they just can't be who they want to be. They're going to get stepped on. They're going to be taken advantage of. You yeah, know. this isn't about not getting your needs. Correct. Right. But we didn't understand that initially. Got it. So when we realized that it was... About not being self-centered, but instead being other-centered. So it's what Jesus said, consider the other person more important than yourself. So I had to start listening to Linda. I had to know her. I mm-hmm. determined I wanted to get a Ph.D. in LJB, Linda Jane <laughs> I A and Ph.D. I
1: did, in L- LJB. L.J.B. <laughs>
0: Because I realized I didn't I didn't know her and she didn't feel known. I didn't I had mm. never treated her in an other-centered way. I didn't do things for her that were just for her. I I started realizing that little things that I did often for her were to make me feel better. For example, um, like I remember I realized at some point in our marriage after we had gotten re- restored that I'd ne- I never really opened the car door for Linda. Uh, And I started evaluating it in my heart. I was like, well, why don't I do that? And I realized that one of the reasons, one of the reasons was because I didn't want her to take that for granted or to get used to it. And then I was just doing it because I had to or supposed to. So I had to ask myself, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I need to understand what's really going on. So I I went to Linda and I said, hon, if I opened the car door for you, like almost every time we get in the car, would you ever, would it ever get old? Would you ever get used to it? And I'll never forget Tony. She looked at me with those puppy dog eyes and she smiled and she said, oh, Tim, I would never get used to, I would, it would never get old. And I said, really? I mean, are you serious? I mean, like it would never, it would never get old. And I looked at her and I said, okay, I can do that. And I have ever since. And that's been probably close to 20 years.
1: Okay, here's the question. Yeah. All right, I'm thinking about this in my own life. <laughs> yeah. How many times are you already sitting in the car waiting on her to come out? And then you, do you get out of the car and then go open it? Oh, I would. That doesn't happen very
0: often for me. But if that Got were it. the case, I absolutely would. Like in the middle of winter, often Linda would just kind of wave me off. No, you don't need to do it this time. And I,
1: that's the biggest opportunity for this is, the this is when I'm gonna do it. <laughs> okay, so so you read the Jonathan Edwards quote. You yeah. you go on this pathway to, to getting a PhD in LJB, and yeah. and you're there, and you're, um, I mean, restoration happens immediately. Uh,
0: yeah, Well,
1: ish. Yeah, I mean the 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 new beginning
0: happened very suddenly. It was. It was in one session of our counseling, is when it changed directions. And it was really interesting because when I had had that experience in that closet, and God showed me that situation back early in our marriage, I remember I I left that closet. I went to our little uh, hotel room kind of thing. Linda was laying on the bed reading, and I went up and I knelt on the bed literally fell on my knees in next to the bed and I put my head on her lap and I wept and I asked her to forgive me told her what God had shown me that I was so sorry for how I had treated her and ignored her and she sat there with her hand on my back never said a word never said okay never said I forgive you nothing and I didn't know what to do so I learned I was learning anyway keep my mouth shut you know? oh. so the next day in counseling which is
1: hard for every preacher it, by the way
0: for most of us I yes think. I think so so the next day in counseling it, we brought it up together it's like okay here's what happened and Harry Schomburg looked at Linda and he said Linda if what really happened to Tim was true and real you only have one response that's necessary and she said, what's that? He said, are you willing to open your heart to Tim again? That was it. That was the question. And she looked at him and then looked at me, and she said, I can do that. Come on. I am dead
1: serious. That's awesome.
0: That was it. Won't and that, it? that day,
1: we started going the other direction. Now, do you just take these same steps in reverse? I mean, how does the other? Is there is there a different pathway for the the reconnection? I mean, uh, I mean, you've done a lot of research in this area. Now, yeah. is it is it as clean cut, or is it more like uh, kind of just turn the lights off in the room, and we're just going to keep bumping into each other until we figure out how to hold hands again?
0: No, no, that that wasn't the case. No, it happened. We were back to ground zero again oh, immediately. So almost like a brand
1: new relationship.
0: It was. With baggage. Right. But it was interesting because we were both willing to learn now. So we realized we had both made mistakes. Sure. Okay. So now we're facing that and we're moving forward. So that's really where these seminars came out of. Well, so- I started evaluating where we had been, what we, make
1: mistakes we made, and do other people make the same? So Now, culturally speaking, she, she messed up and you didn't. Right. Uh, how did you deal with? Or did you have to deal with resentment in your heart about her sin? Uh, resentment. Probably not
0: for me. It wasn't resentment. It was, it was more fear. Mm,
1: fear of what? That it would happen again. Yeah. So that lack of trust. Oh, for sure.
0: And that, that's what I found to be the, the biggest roadblock for people it's not resentment as much as it is now obviously there are people especially if they've been previously mm-hmm. wounded uh sexual abuse as a child et cetera, et cetera. then resentment can be more profound but typically it's just it's trust how do i trust this person again everything i thought i knew
1: didn't prove to be accurate and so we had to change everything, literally. Everything had to change. Well, well so answer that question, right? Because I, I think that there are people who wonder if their marriage can ever get restored. And you yeah. specialize in traumatic and intensive marriage therapy, similar to what you and Linda did. That's, Correct. What, that's what you do yeah. now. Yep, this is your entire much. ministry. Correct. Um, in addition to what you do with the men, yeah. specifically. But right. like when you work with couples... I mean, I, I'm you know, dealing I, primarily with crisis
0: couples. Now, our whole ministry is not doing that. Right, but you, I have other counselors sure. on our team. Yeah, We're dealing lots with...
1: Of, yeah, yeah. Lot, but you specifically deal with... Crisis marriage. Yes. Uh, how do you restore trust in a broken relationship? Well, it takes time. So people have to be prepared to give time.
0: Like It comes in now, little th- segments. It's uh, not big. It's not like some big gigantic thing that's, like, oh, now I trust you. It's it's little things. And research tells us that. Uh, research that's been done by John Gottman and others identify that trust is rebuilt by a, a whole bunch of little things. So it's coming home from work on time, coming home when you say you're going to come home, uh, letting them know who you've been with and be honest. You're dishonest, it's going to completely set you back as far as that trust is concerned. So those setbacks often happen at the the front end. It happened with us. I remember I had gone to teach a men's event at a church. This was several months after we were back on doing great. Um, And I came home and I walked in the door and I had that same horrible feeling that I had while the affair was happening. It was a dark cloud over our house for like seven or eight weeks. And I walked back in and I felt that similar feeling. It's like, oh no, what, what what's wrong? What's going on? So I did what I did. I went and looked to see if I was right. And that day I found, I, I went to the phone. Lo and behold, there wasn't a call, caller ID from the area code. This person lived in, the, he, that call came in. It wasn't her initiation. It lasted for less than a minute. I could see all that on caller ID. So I went upstairs. Uh, it was still like maybe 10 30 in the morning. It was an early breakfast thing with men. And I walked in and I just wanted her to tell me what was happening in the day. What happened this
1: morning? Hoping that she'd tell me. And she didn't. Oh, I, I, it's funny. I hear you telling the story and I'm thinking, God, I hope she tells you. Oh, she did.
0: Yes. It wasn't it wasn't ugly or bad. It was the way that she operated, though most of her life. It was protection. It was keep the peace. It was make everything okay. So, I knew what had happened, and so I said, "Hun, I felt that feeling when I came home. I looked at the phone. I I know that he called. Why didn't you tell me?" She said, "Tim, I'm so sorry. I just we were doing we're doing so good. I didn't want anything to mess it up." I said, "Hun." What messes it up more for me is when I find out you haven't told me the truth. Yeah. So I need you to promise me from this day forward that any time he contacts you, I don't care what form, anything, anything at all, please tell me the second that you find out. Hmm. And she said, I promise. And she did. From that point forward,
1: it never happened again. And I knew everything that he tried to do. So how how did she uh, get... Break the cycle with him, post your time at in Colorado. Um, well, there was no more contact with him,
0: so the, that that break had happened just by the fact that we went to Colorado. Right. So ten... he knew we were going there, but he didn't ever heard another thing about what happened. Okay. Um, so that contact was over. He did try to
1: yeah. intervene,
0: and I intercepted all of that along the way. Um, did you ever talk to him? I did. I did. and uh, the, the first time I called him was the night I found out about what happened. Oh man, yeah. that I tell that story as a as a symbol or, or an example of forgiveness. You know, what does forgiveness look like? To me, for me that night, forgiveness looked like calling him. So I found out what happened. Linda, had confessed to everything. It was an ugly day. It was full of tears. Right, horrible, It was was just horrible. And that was on a Friday night. On Saturday, Lynn and I were together with our kids, and there were still lots of tears. And I remembered saying, you know, hon, this has been a hard couple days. How about if we just go watch a movie and get our minds off of this? And she said, yeah, that's good. So we got in the car, went on the way to the theater. On the way there, she breaks into this horrible weeping. I mean, just, just broken. Well, I was thinking she's so sorry for what she did, you know. She's crying. And so I pull off to the side of the road. I said, what's wrong, hon? What could I do? And she looks up and she said, I'm afraid that he's going to take his life because of all that he's lost since, since yesterday. I said, what do you mean? She said he lost his church because I had, called the church that night Friday night sure. and I called the pastor and I said here's what happened they went to his office that night confiscated his computer found all kinds of other things things <laughs> and and he lost his job and his wife said she was done so their marriage was over so crash they lost his lost his job he lost his wife he lost his income lost it all yeah okay so she says i'm afraid he's going to commit suicide and I said, what do you want me to do, hun?" She said, will you call him and, <laughs> and make sure he's okay? And I said, yes, I will for you. See, this is all a way to communicate to the offender that the offense is not going to make you stop loving them. Yeah. That is forgiveness. In my book, that's how forgiveness looked to me at that moment. I could have, are you kidding me? What are you asking? That wouldn't have been very forgiving or loving in my mind. Okay. So I took her to the theater, sat her down, went out into the lobby, and I called him. And I said, first thing I want you to know, first thing I want to ask you is what Linda wanted me to find out. And she wanted to know if you were okay. She was afraid that you'd take your life because of everything that's happened. And he said, oh, Tim, first of all, I can't even believe you're calling me thank you for being willing to find out. He said, but I would never do that. I'm okay. I said, good. I said, the second thing I want you to know is I forgive you. I forgive you for invading my home, for taking my wife away. And I forgive you for that. And I said, the third thing I want you to know is that I am fighting for my wife and I will win. And he had the audacity to respond to that. And he said, well, I don't believe that. I believe that she wants me and she's
1: going to come back to me. And I said, well, we'll see. Come on. <laughs> I, I serious. That's incredible. I feel like that's like a brave heart moment. Like <laughs> you may take this moment, but you'll never take my wife, it's you know? Exactly like, what I was
0: feeling inside. Oh, yeah. so
1: good. Yeah,
0: so that's that's how that unfolded. And, you know, then we went in and watched this movie. I don't even know what it was. It
1: was <laughs> I'm sure it was something horrible. <laughs> it probably was. And <laughs> you weren't even How could you even be focused on a movie? I, so, we yeah, oh, I don't know. There's so many that's questions. That's all blur now. Right. Oh, gosh. How yeah. many years ago was that? That was almost 20 now. It was 18 years plus. And God has since used that moment to launch into this incredible ministry of of seminars and intensive therapy yeah. and, and all the things. I think that there's, um, there's lots to glean from this. But one of the questions I have for you is, is there any relationship that's too far gone? How, how do you have hope? As a couple that's in a broken and um, disconnected space.
0: Well, boy, I I don't want to oversimplify that because hopelessness is a very real thing and it sucks and I hate it. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, if that hopeless person or couple are willing to reach out to a place like True Relationships, that is an expression of hope that they might not even get. They Mm. might not understand. But they're saying, I want to believe for something. And I don't want this to be over just because I have no hope. So here's what happens when they come to us. They get hope. I've, I've been told a hundred times they leave after one session and they tell me, they have hope again. So hopelessness is not a uh, what's the, what's that term? Where, where it's a lost cause. Like if you if you're hopeless, it's done. Just give up. No way. That's not the end of the road. You just got to find somebody that knows the truth and let them give you hope. Stand on their hope. <laughs> right. I'm just going to borrow hope from the guy down the street. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I I often the first. Session or so is often me just giving them hope, telling them what I've been through, telling them what I've seen in others, hundreds of others that had no hope, just like them, and they're thriving. So it is possible. So don't give up. All right? Let's fight for this. Let's see what can happen. And
1: that's often enough to keep them going. So hope begins at realizing you need help. Yes.
0: Yes, and that oftentimes they lose hope because they wait so long before they do anything. So hopelessness is partly their fault.
1: Well, certainly, because it it serves the disposition, the negative disposition. You know, in the in the, exactly. in the addiction world, we call it the the itty bitty committee in your head, right? <laughs> okay. Right. The I didn't know that. St- one. Stinking thinking, right? Stinking thinking. I know that. Stinking thinking. Um, that, the committee in my head, all those things that say that there's something out there that, that I don't deserve to have hope Uh, that I don't deserve to have, you know, like I've created this kind of, well, you you know, so, so much of addiction is about getting to a place where you feel like you put yourself there. Oh. And so guilt and shame become the orders of the day. And, and, you know, like your wife experienced throwing herself on the floor and like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm not worth it, or you know, all all of the things that that people that are in traumatized states say. Yeah, well, that's true. So, so a couple comes to you, and they're in a in a place of maybe it's infidelity, um, maybe it's an emotional affair, maybe it's an addiction to pornography. uh, You know, now we're seeing it on either couple more and more. Correct. Not just guys. Um, What? What? I mean, what's what's the path i mean obviously you're doing this now and this is who part of who you are what's the <laughs> what's the path of of restoration and redemption well that's a that's a big question and and
0: i don't know if there are any easy answers and i'm a bit distracted because there's something that i felt so strongly i had to say right before you started All right, asking well, me that well
1: let's hear it
0: this is what i need to say to the people out there that have friends that come to them and tell them their situation, that they're done, their, their spouse had an affair or they're having an affair or whatever the case might be. And they don't know what to say and they think they're supposed to side with them. Hmm. They think that's being a friend. They want to emote with them. They want to support them. That is the wrong thing to do. That will not give them hope. That will not change anything or make it better. what I want to tell people out there, whether they're people that are in church and they have friends and then silently someone comes and says, hey, I'm struggling with this. Here's what you do when that happens. You make sure they know you will be with them through thick or thin. You will never give up on them, but that they need help. And you aren't the one to do that. Yeah. Let the professional do it. Let someone who's been there. Now, a lot of pastors out there want to be able to help in those situations. But in my experience as a pastor and for the last 20 years, you don't have the time, the energy, the the background. My, this is your full-time job. This is what I do. This is my calling. I am right. a pastoral counselor that God has set apart for coming alongside of marriages and families. That's it. So let let me, let us, let Christian counselors do what God's raised them up for Mm. and send them to True Relationships if you're local, send them, find some place, go to the Focus on the Family website, go to the AACC, American Association of Christian Counselors website, find a verified counselor that can do the work of changing marriages. So... Don't don't just side for them. Don't think being a friend means you've got to be okay with what they're doing. No, love them enough to let them know this is not the right.
1: answer. Yeah, you got to fight for the marriage. But
0: You know what? That rarely happens.
1: Right now, because it's so much easier to just culturally give in to the it, the, the, the the easy way out. And it just adds, which isn't really injury. even that easy. I, exactly. I, 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 I've never I met divorced easy. Like it's never it, easy. Not at all. I mean, it's
0: horrible. Right. So. Do them the favor of being honest and loving them through it, and walk beside them. But don't give in to the deception. Don't try to understand the illogic of them being in an affair. You
1: can't. You can't do it. So just direct them to a place that will help them. Yeah. One one of my favorite sayings is is that if the only um, hammer you have is a tool is a if the only tool you have is a hammer, the entire world starts to look like a nail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Never heard that yeah. one. And yeah. so,
1: but but the the, the truth is, is yeah. that there's so many of us out here and, that don't have enough tools. Yeah. Right? The, and so, if you only have a hammer, the only thing you're going to know how to do is to to hit the nail, slam it right. And yeah. that's that's not what this is. And and what I hear from your story and what I hear um, from your ministry is that there's there's other options.
0: There are great options, biblical options, grace options that that. Here's what people ask me a lot is can it really be better? Do I am, are, are saving my marriage? is it just going to take me back to before this incident or before no way that is not my goal ever to just let you go back to where you were. No we are starting over. everything's got to change everything's going to be new. you you have to learn how to have disagreement, how to deal with conflict, how to love each other, what's their love language how do I be other centered? Everything. So that's what mm. started this whole thing of teaching people for us. We realized we had to do everything differently. We had to argue differently. We had to have conflict differently. And we didn't know any of that. None of it. That's kind of scary and sad. Right. The church is, and I and I love the church. I do. I love the church. I even, I didn't tell you this part of our story, but they asked me to leave. Of course. And that was not fair, really. I was. It was. We learned more about life and love through that. That we could have been the best pastors we ever been, as far as I was concerned. All right. So we lost everything. We lost income. Both of us lost my car. Lost our house. Everything. No. And I could have been angry. I could have been resentful of the church, but I wasn't. I'm not. We went. Found a church that we could stay in and grow in, even in that stage of our life.
1: And you're in the church now. And,
0: and absolutely are.
1: Right, yeah, you serve here locally.
0: We do. And our ministry is almost always in churches as far as seminars. So I love the church. Right. Um, but the problem is the church is failing Yeah, when it comes to... Speaking truth about marriage, about covenant relationship, about what makes relationship work. Uh, John Maxwell, I love John. and I followed John, when, especially as a pastor. I went to all of his sure, stuff, yeah. everything. And I remember him saying over and over again, everything rises and falls on leadership. Well, it's not that I disagree with that, but I think that he's missing a significant piece, and that is that I believe everything rises and falls on relationship. Hmm. And without relationship, you have nothing. Without relationship, you don't have leadership. I remember John used to say, he who takes a walk but has no one following him is not a leader but taking a walk. Something like that. I don't think I yeah. said that right, but you get the idea. You know, if you're just take if you're just out and people aren't following you, then you're not leading, you're taking a walk. So it's all about relationship. And that's really kind of one of our themes at True Relationships is it's all about relationship. Relationship with God. I mean, that's a huge piece of what we do at True Relationships. Right. Reconnect. Because if that's, here's what I found, Tony. What was missing in my relationship with Linda? I found that it was also missing in my relationship with God, vertically, vertically. And I did, I never saw that either.
1: Right. You
0: know, it was like, it wasn't until I saw what was missing horizontally with me and Linda that I was able to go, Oh my goodness, I don't have that with God either. Wow. So that to me, that's the humility of God that he would let me find out something there. And a lot of people have disagreed with me on that. It's like, well, no, it's got to be with God first. No, no, it actually doesn't. What, why is that true? Why do you think that I'd I don't know. There's no biblical reference that backs that up. I think God is humble enough to let me realize something in marriage that he wants me to really
1: understand in my relationship with him. Uh, It changed my life. Certainly, yeah, certainly. I mean, that's happened numerous times. Yeah. I mean, you don't really understand a father's love until you're a father. Right. It's true. And there are people that didn't have a father that
0: don't understand God that need to find out some stuff. So that they can realize God is a good dad. Yeah. You know? And it's okay. So anyway, there's just so much. It's so good. It's 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 so so good. multifaceted. And so the first 10 years of our ministry, we traveled. We just went church to church all over the country, just doing seminars. And then we moved here, back to my hometown. My mom and dad were both in their late 80s. Dayton, Ohio. And we came back to be with them. Right. And we brought the ministry with us. And when we got here, God just changed it up. It became counseling. People started coming to me for right. help. It was, it was weird. I don't even know how it happened. And now we've got our own counseling office, facility, multiple counselors, a, facility, a satellite office in Columbus. We're starting one in Cleveland in the next few months. I don't even know how it all happened.
1: So but let me ask you this. It. If uh, if a couple's in uh, struggle trauma. If they're in a place, um, what's the best way for them to find you? Okay, I'd say the the best first step would be to go to our website, truerelationships.org. Truerelationships.org. Um, we'll link to that in
0: the show notes as well. That'll give them pretty much everything that we're about in a basic way. And now, if they want counseling, there's stuff on the on the website that explains the different kinds of counseling. Uh, we talk about intensives. Not everybody understands intensives. I do four-day intensives that are five hours of counseling and processing each of those four days. So we're talking twenty hours of intense, get it done, and it's it's different than anything else I've ever experienced. You you do weekly counseling. You do fifty minutes. You leave. You go away for a week or more. You go to work. You have problems and kids and blah blah, and you come back. When you come back, you don't start where you left off. Yeah. Most of the time, they've gone through something. Regress. They want to know what to do with what happened.
1: So we've got to fix that first. 20 hours of an intensive is like emotionally uh, deciding that you're going to juggernaut this thing. (laughs) That's right. And it's amazing what that
0: does. Oh, I bet. And it's like six to eight months of, of weekly counseling in those four days you accomplish what we can usually do in six to eight months of
1: weekly. So what if your marriage is not in, uh, trauma? What if it's not an infidelity and and you, but, but what you're saying is like, man, we might be, we might be in the beginning of fatigue or irritability and insensitivity. Mm And we may not, maybe, uh, alienation and aloneness is just around the corner. Like, um, how would somebody connect with you to avoid going to the next step? Um, I'd say
0: set up an appointment with one of our counselors and talk about and it. And just say, "Here's what's happening for us. We right. will know what to do." I've got one of my counselors is uh, specializes in a number of things, but EMDR, if anyone's familiar with that, uh, it's a it's a really interesting process, psychological process. It's called i'm uh, eye, eye movement desensit- desensitization. Uh,
1: yeah. Forget what the. It's like is. a rapid desensitization, right? It, it, it's a process uh, yeah, that helps a person take the brain. Trauma
0: from the front of their brain and put it in the back. Mm. So she's a licensed social worker. She does a great job with those kind of more clinical issues. Okay. My other counselor, Sue, is really, really has developed tremendously over the last ten years. So she's been on our team the longest. Wow. And she is now working towards some other degree issues, but she is just really nailing it. And yeah. so she started out working a lot with women. So she just had a natural ability to understand a woman's emotions. She gets, every time she connected instantly with them. So not just women, especially now, but she's got a forte there that is, Impressive. I always refer Women that are struggling with something I don't understand.
1: Yeah, I would see Sue for a couple sessions. So we've got a great team. We really That's, do. It sounds incredible. And if they want to follow you on social media, are you out there on the on the web? We are.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to remember all uh, the uh, addresses. We'll, we'll link to them in the show notes. Okay, cool. We'll find
1: we'll find them on on your website, and uh, and. Yeah. That's also if if you're doing seminars, which you do in churches. Yes. If you, if you're doing a seminar, you'll post that on your on Absolutely. your on your social media.
0: And we, in our new office, we've got a large enough space. area for okay. meetings. We will be able to host uh, seminars for about forty to fifty people. Now,
1: that's incredible. So yeah, lots of good stuff on the horizon. Um, and and if any pastor wants to, to to connect with you, the website to do that as well, and you can set up all sorts of kind of. Uh, host a seminar or send your people to a seminar or anything like that. I'll
0: tell you what, here's what I'd prefer. If there's a pastor listening out there and he wants to talk to me, I want him to email me today. Okay. Okay? What's what's your email address? Tim at Not not Pretty simple. But I would love to hear directly from them. Let's skip the middleman. Okay. Come straight to me and let's figure out what's going to work best for them.
1: Okay. Good. Good, good, good. Last question. I always yep. like to ask my guests. Mm-hmm. If you could go back, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, maybe, maybe uh, two months into your marriage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And give yourself one piece of advice. Hmm. What would it be? Stop thinking you know it all and listen. Amen. That'll <laughs> preach every day of the week. Tim, thank you so much. My pleasure. Dude. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing and I cannot wait to see what God does with your relationships. Me too. Buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my conversation with Tim. I know some of the things that I found so incredible was Tim's vulnerability and his willingness to share the pathway or the journey to disconnectedness. I realize that there are people listening to this conversation right now who are wondering about their own marriage. And if that's you, I just want to give you a little bit of hope. Everything can be fixed if you're willing to put in the work. So don't be afraid to reach out to Tim. Don't be afraid to reach out to me. Um, Don't be afraid to share this episode with maybe somebody who might need to hear a little bit about hope and their marriage. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. It would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a review and share this podcast wherever it is you listen uh, to podcasts. And our next episode will be coming up next week is with uh, an old friend and a, a familiar friend to many of you, Nick and Lindsay Cunningham. They share their journey about planning a new church and uh, what they hope Emmaus will be. I'm excited to bring you this conversation. Until then, we'll see you guys real soon.